0: Hello, and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be joined by Kieran Lucid, the millionaire Kerry entrepreneur, who'll be telling me about his vision for an all island football league. How will it work? Who will fund it? And how much extra money might the clubs on both sides of the border make from this new venture? But first, I'm joined by Peter Hamilton for a roundup of some of the major business stories of the week. Uh, Peter, this is going to be our last. Round up before Christmas, so let's make it a, a good one. Mm. And we're
1: going to start with the central bank's rather cheery report on motor insurance. That's right, it was fairly damning uh, where the insurance industry was concerned. What they found, some of the headline figures were that the cost of insurance claims were down 2.5% between 2009 and 2018, but premiums were up 42%. So, fairly significant uh, if you're insuring your car home, health, whatever it may be. They also found that insurers made an average of 9% profit last year and that compares to the UK where it was just 5%. So this research is sort of creaming it. They're doing well, they're doing well. Now they had a few tough years, no doubt, um, but they're now back to fairly uh, nice profitability. Um, and this comes after their long-standing claims that the higher cost of insurance is because of these spiralling payouts. Compo culture, I think they call this it. This compo culture, exactly. Uh, which doesn't really seem to exist to the same extent that they have been suggesting. Uh, we've seen, obviously, some bad negative stories over the past number of years, but not to the extent that, that they have been suggesting. Just um, little by way of evidence, I,
0: I think it's fair to say, Pierce Doherty called them out on this. That's right. In the Oireachtas, when he asked them how many cases they'd reported to the yes. as cases of uh, fraud. So they... They gave a figure for uh, and it for was the single digits fraud, yeah, mm-hmm. and it was only a single digit number of cases, the, the, the so it didn't add up. Um, no. Essentially,
1: now uh, you know when you look at the past five years, the cost of claims has risen by fourteen percent, mm-hmm. but premiums in that time again sixty two percent up, so mm-hmm. p- pretty massive. Um, you were in your column today made an interesting point that just sixteen percent of the claims that have been settled have been settled through PIAB, the Personal Injury Assessment Board, and given that. Every claim has to go through Piab. that's a, a rather unusual scenario so it, uh, that kind of tells us that these the rest of the claims are going uh, to litigation and that is significantly more expensive uh, as that central bank report showed the the legal costs for uh, a personal injuries case is about fourteen thousand six hundred and eighty four euro and in piab it's just seven hundred and fifty three so lawyers doing not too badly out of this either, yeah. And uh, CCPC, C- Joe Brennan had a story this morning mm.
0: saying um, that the competition body here is at an advanced stage of its investigation, which was launched three years ago, yeah. into whether motor insurers and brokers are engaged in anti-competitive practices. Tell us about that.
1: This is by signalling their price moves to the market. So they'll say, perhaps uh, in the media, that uh, we think premiums are going to go up and, and that's, uh, that is that is price signalling uh, uh, under certain circumstances. So uh, the, the, we still, I suppose, don't know when that is going to complete. It is one of two investigations. The European Commission last May started a formal investigation into whether the uh, whether Insurance Ireland, the industry body, had been operating a cartel by restricting access to claims databases. Now they, I think they have uh, denied uh, restricting access. Yeah. What's
0: your own experience, uh, Peter? You're a, you're a motorist.
1: Yeah, my motor insurance had been steadily declining, uh, but it, it, then it, it increased last year and increased again slightly this year. So it is quite expensive. You know, it's it's it's. I would obviously like it to go down, but even I I, I shop around and it's it's um it's difficult. But I think Pierre Pierre started made the point that there's this dual pricing issue where you see different prices online and when you ring up a broker or when you ring up the insurer, that is a problem, and that's. Uh, that's tough to navigate around, I think, when you are looking for new insurance. Yeah, yeah. They've obviously marked you as a speedster in
0: your uh, flash sports car, Peter. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about tourism. We've mm. had uh, some good years of recovery in tourism over the past uh, few years after the recession and so forth. But a few concerns now being expressed by Tourism Ireland Chief mm. Executive
1: Niall Gibbons for next year. That's right. He said that the organisation has detected momentum behind flight shaming. So this is where people are criticised for travelling by air Mm. for environmental reasons. Um, And he also interestingly went as far as saying that green taxes on air travel is a a threat. Uh, That's, I suppose, understandable given that 90% of inbound tourists here travel by air. But it was interesting that he went so far as to say that because that seems to be What's on the horizon from a Europe on a, on a European level um, that there will be some variety of uh, air travel tax, yeah, on, on air travel. So, but he said he was concerned over the impact of, of flight sharing. He's
0: so. particularly concerned about uh, the German market, which is a very important mm-hmm. market for us and obviously Germans have the option of hopping on a train or going in their car and visiting other countries rather than getting on a plane to Ireland.
1: They, they have great accessibility, and when it comes to uh, ferries here, we, we aren't terribly developed in that sphere. It's ferries to the UK and France and and Spain in the summer, and that's about the height of, height of it. So I suppose the ferry companies obviously do all right on those routes, but we haven't really developed that mm. uh, because all of our... Emphasis has been going into air travel. And and look, Dublin Airport has fantastic figures uh, this year. Another record year it will be uh, by the looks of things. But um, tourism on the whole... 32 million in the the past
0: 12 months. Um, Uh, uh, Brexit, obviously uh, a potential negative there. We've seen mm. the number of visitors from Britain going down steadily over the last uh, wee while because of uh, the decline in sterling against the the value of uh, Euro. Mm. Although sterling got a bit of a bounce from the Boris election Mm. win. So who knows where that, where that's going to go, but Britain's a very important market. It's the single largest chunk of tourists who come here come mm. from Britain.
1: It, it is, and, and they tend to stay, I think, for about a week, so that they're significant in that sense as well. Uh, and they tend to move out of Dublin, which is obviously important for the, the rural economy. So uh, the figures overall seem to look like they're just going to rise about 1% this year. Not great growth, but still, you know, our numbers are still solid. Um. There was a shred of good news this week, it should be mm. said, for the industry. Um, this morning, uh, the Minister for uh, B- uh, Business, Heather Humphreys, said that all chef grades are eligible for employment permit. Now, o- o- up to now, commie chefs couldn't be employed here, and there was a cap on the number of chefs from outside of the European Union of 610 across the sector. So that has now been removed, uh, and Fulton Ireland said that'll very much help alleviate the skills shortage in the sector. Like, employment numbers are, are expected to jump quite significantly um, almost to double to 310,000 by 2025. So this, for the sector, at least is uh, a shred of positivity. Yeah, sure. Okay,
0: all right, back to aviation. And Boeing has decided to hold production of this uh, 737 MAX jet that it's had so many problems with. Hmm. Uh, Bad
1: news for Ryanair. Yeah, it is. I mean, they had been hoping for summer growth on the back of their enhanced fleet. So they've now had to pull back on some of that. Ryanair is one of the bigger customers of this Max jet. They have orders for 135 and options for 75 more. So, look, I mean, it has been well flagged at this point. Uh, they, they at least, they've said that that they 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 are slightly concerned about summer growth. So, not hugely surprising, but the fact that Boeing has uh, has cut. Um, production altogether has been a concern for some of the aviation lessers. And there was one, uh, Timero, Ireland, which ha- is suing Boeing now in Chicago to void contracts for 22 jets and they want €166 million Euro in damages. So this is, an uh, uh, I suppose, a step change in mm. uh, what's happening in the Boeing saga. And
0: still no clarity as to when regulators might give the approval again. No. The green light for the MAX to... Begin flying again.
1: No, it had been flagged as perhaps okay. January, but w- that th- that date seems to seems it's likely that that date will come and go, and um, w- we don't know when it's going to be approved. Look, the fact that they've stopped construction or stopped um, production. stopped production mm. would suggest that uh, they don't think it's coming anytime soon. All right, Peter, would would you be happy to fly
0: in a Max? One of the first Maxes up in the air once once they do get clearance.
1: I would imagine the first one will be the safest jet ever produced. So the first one I'll go on, maybe. Uh,
0: after that he might be all (laughs) All right okay
1: all right Peter uh, we'll leave it there happy Christmas to you thanks
0: Kieran. we we're going to take a short break now when we return I'll be talking to Kieran Lucid the millionaire Kerry entrepreneur who'll be telling me about his vision for an all-island football league Now, in a period that's been dogged by controversy for the governing body of football in Ireland, the FAI, what does the future hold for the domestic game? Kerry businessman Kieran Lucid has this year outlined ambitious plans for an All Ireland League combining competitions both north and south of the border, and of course, south of the border is known as the League of Ireland. To talk to us a little bit more about his plans, I'm delighted to say that Kieran joins me in studio for Inside Business. Kieran, you're very welcome. Just tell us a little bit about your plan for an All Ireland uh, football league.
2: So the plan really is just to reorganise domestic football on an all-Ireland basis. Mm. So as you know, we have teams in the Republic and Derry forming the League of Ireland and then the the rest of the teams in Northern Ireland in the Irish League, as it's called. So it's our view, my view, that it's a very small population to sustain two professional leagues or or near professional leagues. And it makes financial sense, football sense, to merge them together um, and do it in such a way to preserve the independence of the, the national side's And the associations and the national... So we'd have a
0: combined North and South league, but on the international front, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland continue to do their own thing.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. The the Northern Irish team, for example, are, are, how do you say, it's, it's sacrosanct. The Northern Irish fans have no desire, from what I've experienced speaking to them, to dissolve their national team, to lose that identity that the Northern Irish football team has, gives them. Um, the, the rest of the the rest of the the sporting bodies like rugby, hockey, cricket, are organised on all end bases. So that the Northern Irish football team is probably the last bastion of their identity, I would say, in sporting terms. So the the, the you know the primary um, requirement here is that there be no threat to the national sides. You're not a you're not a League of Ireland man of
0: old, are you? You're not somebody who's kind of been embedded in the League of Ireland for many many years. And the League of Ireland isn't one of those institutions um, that would necessarily scream out at you as as being something you'd want to get involved in. You know, it's a bit of a... A lot of people would see the League of Ireland as a basket case.
2: So what drew you to this proposal? Well, I was living in Northern Ireland, so it wasn't the League of Ireland per se. It was probably the Irish League more so, because I was living there. It was an even bigger basket case. Um, Well, I don't know. I wouldn't use the phrase basket case. I would say the Northern Irish League, because of the fact that it's a much smaller geography, they have no overnights, they can run a smaller operation and remain solvent, they have less professionalism in that league compared to their southern counterparts. But the the starting point of the project or uh, the goal of the project wasn't just to create an all-in league. That's not the purpose of the project. The project's purpose is to create a, a football industry here that, like other leagues and nations around Europe have, like Denmark or, or Scotland, where you uh, the league can wipe its face in terms of its finances. The The directors of the clubs aren't being asked for a dig out every quarter. And where the the financial operations of the clubs can can pay for their day-to-day and that the league, most importantly, centrally generates enough commercial revenue to distribute to the clubs where the whole thing is viable. So at the moment you have this kind of unfortunate cycle where the clubs don't have enough money to contract their players longer term and when they do have success in Europe, like Dundalk did in 2016, that English clubs and others can come in and Scottish clubs can come in and just say, I'll have him and him and thanks very much. So to use Dundalk's phrase, they didn't get so much as a bag of balls, footballs for their, for the likes of um, the guys in, in 2016 who who did leave. So the whole purpose of the project is to create a more kind of virtuous cycle where the clubs have enough finance to hold on to players, go further in Europe and be compensated properly for player departures. All right, talk through your proposal and how, how would it work? It started out with a, a Danish style option where the, the top tier would be a 14 tier team club premiership. And below that would be a regionalised championship north and south, where the regionalization isn't a function of the border. It's it's an imaginary line across the island that the league would redraw each year, like the National League um, north and south in England. So that was the, the proposal that we had been working towards, mainly because of the very successful Danish finances, um, how, how that league with one million less people compared to the island of Ireland manages to... And they also live under the shadow of the Premier League, but they still have over a uh, TV deal in excess of 50 million euros a year. So it's that was very much an influence on our thinking. Um, but as we went along, we got speaking to various people and one in particular was this sports consultancy called, um, they're named Hypercube, they're based in the Netherlands. Their advice to us wasn't was not to marry ourselves to one model like we had been thinking and to broaden the discussion because we might not have the right answers. So what they proposed was a more, process-based um, approach where fans, players, coaches would be brought in and ask for their ideas. And only at the end of that process would we settle on the ideal format. So that's where we are now. So it would probably be remiss of me to to talk through the details of the proposal that we had, given that we've shifted and broadened the discussion to include many more um, options. But well, let's pretend
0: a I'm, of- I'm uh, Ray Wilson of Shamrock Rovers and uh, you're selling your concept to me, so Ray Wilson being the major shareholder at the minute in, in Rovers and you're selling the concept of this all island League to me. So at the minute, Rovers, give or take, a couple of million uh, in turnover uh, every year. They don't really make a profit. Some years they lose a, a few bob. Some years they make a few bob you know, kind of uh, over a period of time probably balances itself out. So, what's the financial benefit for me uh, to join your proposal as opposed to doing you know what they're doing now and what they've been doing for the last whatever, 70 odd years?
2: So I'm not going to put figures on it, but like it's been reported in the media and we've said that the discussions we've had with broadcasters and sponsors have been very encouraging. And two broadcasters have expressed an interest to sit down and do a deal. And the, the ballpark ranges that they were giving us were, were far in excess of what the, either league enjoys at the moment. So so, so that's the first thing. Um, the Hypercube process that, that they would like to to implement would involve... All, all the stakeholders speaking for, say, two, three months in, in this, um, I guess, wider discussion. And at the end, we would speak to the broadcasts and sponsors to, to determine what the market appetite was for this league. And only at the end would Rovers and other clubs be asked, do you want to go for this or not? So there are no leaps of faith in this process. We're not, we're not asking the clubs to join something that doesn't have guarantees or, or, or clarity around the figures. so And we are basing everything on the assumption that the the figures at the end of this process would have to justify rovers moving across. So, in terms of how much better they will be, it's hard for me to say at this moment. Obviously, it's difficult to put an agreement in writing with a sponsor or broadcaster given that the league doesn't exist yet. But, uh, the, the, the indications are very positive from those, those discussions. We were originally proposing for the league to be live in 2021. Um, obviously, with the IFA's view at the moment, that's that's difficult. But, for example, sponsors who we'd spoken to about the idea love the fact that it will be 100 years since the league's splitting up. It's a very nice story. And the broadcasters, the general feeling was that they wouldn't be talking to us if we were selling them the League of Ireland. This is something new that they feel that could really drive football. What evidence is there that there will be increased
0: attendances? Because we've had cross-border competitions in the past. More recently, the uh, Stantan Cup, and we've had this um, Unite for Ireland uh, sort of one-off um, between Dundalk and uh, and Linfield uh, more recently. But the Santa Cup had multiple teams and was group-based and it went on over a, a sort of a long period during the season. Um, and there really was very little evidence of uh, of increased attendances at those matches, and particularly the finals. I was at a couple of the finals and the attendances were pretty poor.
2: I would say that the early years of the Sedantic Cup were, were better. Um, I think most people north and south of the border who have been at the game said, it was something new and exciting. The, there was a real buzz around the games. I don't think an all in League is a silver bullet that will solve all the problems of Irish, or Irish football north and south. And we've said all along that one part of it is, is government investment and I think the government has a huge role to play in bringing these stadia up, up to standard because at the start of this process I brought a group of friends and um, they would be tip hurling fans and we, we went down to Richmond Park for the first game of the season at home to Cork and the guys after it were like look this is not for us like it was raining on top of us. We were behind the goals, slipping on mud. The bathrooms were in very poor shape. So, like, the league is not going to hold on to this newly won fans for very long if the grounds aren't fit for purpose. So, mm. it's it's a two-pronged approach. But I do think the All-In League taps into something that would bring that latent football support that doesn't normally go to the League of Ireland, would get their attention at least for a while. You mentioned Denmark earlier. Denmark doesn't have a
0: GA. Uh, Ireland's extraordinary in that um Sense in that we have this indigenous sport, which is huge, and it's a very much a community base. It's in practically every parish on the island, yep. whether it's north or south. Um, and then, of course, we have rugby, and rugby has gained in popularity enormously. Now, I know the the, the numbers in in absolute numbers playing rugby are, are still small compared to soccer or compared to GA, but nonetheless, it has uh, gained in visibility and in popularity uh, enormously over the last number of years. And of course, we have four professional squads. Uh, operating on the island, playing at a very high level in Europe uh, and so forth. So there are very unique circumstances at play in Ireland, not to mention the fact that obviously a lot of people are wedded to English football or or to Celtic or Rangers, as the case may be in Scotland. There are very unique circumstances at play here in Ireland and it's going to be very, very difficult to overcome them.
2: I I totally agree. I, I think running a professional club north or south, and football is one of the most difficult tasks in Western European sport, and I don't think that's hyperbole. Uh, just because of what you said, you have this perfect storm of this brilliant indigenous product in the GAA that enjoys the the political support and the, the local community sport that football would otherwise enjoy, probably in other countries. So that's a huge challenge, uh, and I think rugby obviously is is, is is has gone on leaps and bounds so as well. So. But I think that's all the more reason to consolidate the two leagues and have a bigger league that has a better chance of being sustainable. Now, what reaction have you had from
0: the clubs, particularly north of the border? It might be an easier sell down here.
2: The clubs north of the border have been fantastic. Um, I spoke at Crusaders the week before last. To their credit, they give me a, a really good reception. Um, they're very open-minded. Most people in Northern Ireland can perfectly uh, decomp- compartmentalise their politics from their football. They're rational enough to realise that something needs to change in football for them also, and I would say that you know Northern Ireland, um, were it not for Michael O'Neill or when he does leave, what will their future hold? So I think they recognise they need to secure the player pathway, and some of these clubs like Linfield, I was at the opening game of the season, they had 1,500 people, 1,550 I think at their first game at home in in an 18,000 seater stadium. So they would of course benefit from bigger games. So the clubs have been have been hugely positive, I would say, apart from a few clubs. Um, the vast majority of them have been very supportive and willing to engage in this process that, that we're proposing.
0: Okay, so that's the clubs. What about the associations? We know that the FEI is in a complete state of flux. So I'm suspecting that uh, right at the minute anyway, this isn't really high on their agenda. But the IFA have kind of made it very clear that they don't support this proposal.
2: So we spoke to the IFA um, and we, we went to them with what we we'll call the Danish style option that we had fleshed out in, in real detail. Uh, since since that meeting, we've broadened the discussion to include other options, including a Satanta Cup-style tournament, which I think, even though I don't personally think that it will it will be sufficient to transform the game, It's still we still have to keep it on the table. Maybe that's the only option that the clubs will go for. But a third option is a split-season approach where the first half of the season, the clubs would play home and away as they do now, UEFA places would be sorted, and then in the second half of the season, they would move to an all-island league. Now, that would have the benefit um, over the Setanta Cup style tournament, of not being a fourth competition that the clubs are having to weave into their calendar, which was one of the challenges of the Sedanta Cup. This would be their bread and butter league for the second half of the year, at least. Since the IFA have come out against it, we've broadened that discussion, and our hope would be at the end of Hypercube's process, when they've ran all their models based on the data that we're gathering from the clubs, that we could go back to the IFA with evidence-based solutions to their concerns. Uh, What about the FAI, then? They're they're very very open to the project. I th- I've spoken to some of the current board members also, and I think I think there's support for the idea. I think the main the main challenge at the moment is the IFA's concerns around it. But the the FEI have have been open and mm. supportive. I would say. Did you meet John Delaney? Did you get to talk to him? I've about never it? met John Delaney. No, I I, I did I, th- I did reach out to him once or twice, and I was put in touch then with friend Gavin when it, when I originally thought of this idea. But I never had uh, the opportunity to meet him, no. Right. Tell us about Kieran Lucid, because you're from Kerry, which is
0: most certainly not a soccer stronghold. No League of Ireland team. Uh, I don't think anybody from Kerry's ever been capped at senior level for the Republic of Ireland. I, I think I'm Andy Townsend's
2: grandmother was from Kerry. That, is that right? <laughs> that was our biggest contribution to Irish football that <laughs> I, <laughs> I know. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a bit of a black spot in, in League of Ireland coverage, shall we say. But no, I, I'm a huge football fan. I was my United fan since I was seven or so. Um, and then I moved to England and. It's when I moved back to the north that I think I maybe it was because I Man United their their fortunes were declining, but I just I started to, to to become a little bit disillusioned with English soccer. Um probably maybe because of the salaries, maybe because of the kind of mercenary nature. Even it's not just Irish representation, even say the class of ninety two, that, that was still a very beautiful thing. And when when you watch old footage and old interviews with, you know, Gary Neville and Nicky Butt, there's something very real about it. Whereas now it just seems Hired hands and they'll go for the highest bidder. Um, now that's very preachy and, and kind of luddite of me. But I think the league here has has a chance. In, if you, if you look at someone like Denmark, to be something still still very local, it's still majority local players, and that can be real engine for economic activity for the local community. So I came at it from a football, a love of football, as opposed to a love of the League of Ireland. And I think you know people said you know he, he's not a League of Ireland man. Can you know can he really be trusted? But I think coming from coming at it from a good place and from the outside isn't a bad thing sometimes the reception to the idea has been guardedly positive. I would say that people obviously want to see what we're about and so the group that we've put together we're a group of advocates um, we will never hope to make any money out of this. This is just a purely labor of love and I think you know it, it could be very good for the game if if it were to come about so what's the day job so I'm I'm a data scientist and, and the company, the reason I moved to Northern Ireland is I, I sold a company to um, First Derivatives who are based in Northern Ireland. So that's my background. At the moment, um, Irish football is, is, is a rather demanding mistress and I think it's, it's drifted into a day job for me. But I, I have a, I have a couple of kind of, I've invested in um, another company and I, I work with them a little and I have a few irons in the fire outside of football. But I think football is, is probably taking up 70, 80% of my time at the moment because of, because it's such a high-profile project and I think it has a chance, I wouldn't want to look back and say that I didn't give it everything I could. So are you a millionaire? Uh, I, I guess you could say that, yeah.
0: Right, okay.
2: On now, paper, but I, I think there there are there are farmers from my local village at home who would exceed my wealth. They just didn't have the misfortune of being published in the Irish Times when I did sell the company, but it's, it's modest enough, to be honest. It's not, like, yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't have that much play money. Uh, this is, it just gives me a little bit of independence t- to pursue this, but I'll, I'll probably, in, a, in the next year or two, I'll have to get real a little bit and probably go back to some form of day job, I think. Okay. How are you funding it today? Because obviously... Well, there's not... Like, I'm not putting a lot of, of personal... There's, there's not much money required in it. Like, obviously, Hypercube Cube have to be mm-hmm. um, compensated um, and some costs, but it's more time than than actual funds that I'm putting into this.
0: Okay. So what's the next step uh, for you, the IFA are opposing it at the minute, at least. So where do you go from here?
2: So what Hyperc- Hypercube are, are a statistics and um, mathematical model driven firm and they require data. So what we're doing is is getting the, the club's finances and attendance data and getting that over to Hypercube to to run the models, run the various permutations of what form of league could be brought about. And they would be able to make a reasonably accurate estimation If you if you run with this format, this is what you can expect in terms of finances and attendances. And so, so that's where our focus right now. So we don't want to just be a group who are talking in in in, in, in high-level platitudes um, for too long. We want to actually go away and get something um, substantial that we can then come up with. Probably that would be probably February, March time at this stage, I would say.
0: Let's say it gets off the ground. Go back to my Ray Wilson question. A couple of million turnover at the minute. Um, look out five years, six, seven years, let's say. Uh, what might it be? potentially
2: what could it be 5 million 10 million 8 million well the the league company in the SPFL uh, runs about 37 i think 37.7 million sterling a year um and they distribute to the clubs i forget the figure maybe 26 million sterling i would say if if you were at about a quarter of that up around 8 million a year i think that wouldn't be bad in in 5 years after the league is up and running it's all about the direction of movement the league has to be moving towards scotland and denmark at the moment, it's not. It's not tapping into the transfer market at all. It's not tapping into its fair share of European prize money. That, we'll say 6.6 million, 7 million almost, that Dundalk made in 2016 has now reverted back to less than 2 million. So that 5 million opportunity cost, that's one place, one of the four places. That's huge. And that 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 European prize money is the lifeblood of leagues around Europe, but it's not flowing into our leagues. So I think, to answer your question, it all depends if if the government are, get behind this league with infrastructure and I, I think if they do I think a third or so of, of Scottish um, revenues within say six, seven years is definitely achievable.
0: Well Karen, we wish you the best of luck with it. It's an ambitious proposal no question about that and you will have a lot of naysayers uh, I, I've no doubt there will be a lot of supporters as well um, and you've got a fair bit of opposition to overcome it sounds uh, north of the border before um, th- this will see the light of day but we wish you luck look it thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. And in fact, that's it for us at this side of Christmas. Uh, My thanks to Peter Hamilton and Kieran Lucid. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at IrishTimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn each day, even over Christmas. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and have a very happy Christmas.